Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Just add my welcome. If you're our guest here, you're so very welcome today. My name's James. I lead the team. Uh, if you've noticed a guy wandering around with a camera, he's called Pete. He's on our staff team. He's uh, taking, updating our footage of for various different sites. If you just get the good side, that'd be great. No, I'm not... I'm notoriously unphotogenic, as uh, the team like to remind me, and which I just respond, it's not true that I look bad in photos, it is just what I look like, which is, which is the way it is with photos. I'm not looking for sympathy when you say, oh, my that photo looks terrible. No, it's just you. That is, <laughs> that's kind of what cameras do. They don't generally lie, they just show like you. And I know you don't like it, but that is the truth, all right? Anyway, just trying a little bit of light humour because we're talking about judgment and eschatology and end times. So jacket's coming off because this is a fun one. Right. <laughs> Mark 13. We're carrying on our, our series uh, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark, A Journey to the Cross. And uh, we're now in the last week of Jesus' life and the tension is building. There's urgency in these verses. And chapter 13 is, is, to be honest with you, one of the uh, more difficult um, passages in Scripture. Uh, various commentators call it uh, the little apocalypse, <laughs> which is kind of a, a, a fun thing, really. Um, it's all about end times. It's all about what we call theologically eschatology and um, coming judgment. It's one of those passages that some people love because they love endlessly debating stuff. And there's one of those passages that some people hate because it's super uncomfortable. And it's one of those passages that some people are embarrassed by, or mainly more accurately embarrassed by slightly weird Christians who love it a little bit too much. This is the stuff of prophetic placards and uh, apocalyptic films and frightening visions and all that kind of stuff. Some people are confused by it, just don't get it and don't really understand it. Uh, lots of people just dismiss it because, well, it's a bit weird, let's not talk about it. Let's read it. Mark 13. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, to Jesus, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you'll stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, Jesus didn't say that, that was added in later, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Woo. Loads of different places we could go, lots of different things we could say, but there's one big theme here. This is all about the return of Jesus. He's come once, and he's coming again. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we don't really have much problem or any kind of real issue with the first coming of Jesus. We kind of like the first coming of Jesus, the biblical description of the first coming of Jesus. We, we love it. It's all soft and, and gentle. It's all associated with gifts and kind of peace and, and joy and love. There's a star in the sky. There's a baby in the manger. It's all so lovely. And then the second coming of Jesus, it's like exactly the opposite. There's no star in the sky anymore. The stars are literally falling out of the sky. He doesn't look much like a baby here, does he? Everything's shaking. Earthquake, sun and moon going dark, stars falling out of the skies. This is the day that the prophet Joel prophesies about in Joel 2. In Joel 2, verse 10, he says, The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon are darkened, and stars withdraw their shining. Hundred years before, prophesying this day. Thousands of years before. Verse 26 of, of, of Mark 13. The Son of Man comes with clouds and great power and glory. This is the vision that Daniel had. Way back in, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. 
And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The king has come once in meekness. He's coming again in power. And he's coming again to wrap up all of history. This is the moment. This, this part here, which Jesus is talking about in Mark 13, this is the moment that what we are currently partaking in, the ingathering of the elect from every tribe and every tongue, this is the moment where that part of history is over. This is the moment here when everything that we are engaged and involved in has come to an end. See, verse 27 here of Mark 13, this is the fulfillment of what God promised way back in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses three and four, God promised this. He said, then the Lord your God will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. And if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heavens, other translations say, in the ends of the earth, From there, the Lord your God will gather you, and from there, he will take you. This is what God promised thousands of years before. I will gather you from all the nations, all the corners of the earth, from wherever you're scattered. This is the moment. This bit here, Mark 13. Jesus saying, that's the moment where it all gets wrapped up, where history comes to an end. He's come once, and he's coming again. Now, of course, this this passage throws up all sorts of technical questions, all sorts of uh, issues. You think, what exactly is the tribulation? What exactly is going to happen in the end? What's what's the chronology of all of this? What's what's the timeline of events? Does does this all mean I need to be a premillennialist? Or should I actually be a postmillennialist? Or should I be an amillennialist? Or should I be a dispensationalist premillennialist? Or should I just be a pan-tribulationist? Or should I be... Do you know what you are? (laughs) Do you know, people get obsessed by this stuff and it's all interesting, fascinating. And in its right place and right context, actually appropriate to talk about it. But in this passage in Mark 13, Jesus isn't concerned with any of this. He don't care. His whole teaching up until this point throughout Mark's gospel has all been, this is what it means to follow me. And in this passage here, Mark 13, he's telling us, I'm coming back. Now live with this in mind. There's a repeated theme here. I don't know if you picked it up as we went through Mark 13. Be on your guard. Keep awake. Keep on guard. Don't let anyone lead you astray. Look at verse 37. What I say to you, I say to all. He's saying to us today, stay awake. Here's the deal. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. Like literally we don't know when. It's utterly pointless predicting it. You know those people on the internet who like to use mathematical formulas to say, Jesus is coming back on this day. So far, they've all been proven wrong. Ah, There's a surprise. Why should we be surprised by that? Because Jesus himself says, there's only one person who knows, the Father, not even the Son. Verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And apparently somebody in his mum's bedroom on the internet. That's like, what's the point? (laughs) you don't know why spend endless time guessing pointless we don't know exactly what it's going to be like either which to be honest with you is why it's kind of arguing about different millennial positions whilst interesting for some maybe is not of most importance maybe we'll talk about it someday but don't worry about it 
What we do know is that it's happening. Jesus really is coming back. And it's a massive deal. There are 318 references in the New Testament to Jesus' second coming. Just to put that in context for you, that's like roughly one in every 13 verses. It's a big deal. Pretty much every moral command in the New Testament is tied to his return. Do this or don't do that. Why? Because Jesus is coming back soon. Behave like this because Jesus is coming. Don't behave like that because Jesus is coming. Stop wasting your time because Jesus is coming. It's all tied to that. For every prophecy in the Bible about Jesus' first coming, of which there are lots. Just to be clear, we're talking about Christmas. There are lots. For every one of those, there are about eight that look forward to his second coming. Like we have a whole holiday and the world goes mad for the first one. And we kind of quietly forget the second one. I'm not suggesting the world should have an end-of-the-world party or range of cards in Hallmark or anything. (laughs) Although in certain places of the world, probably they'd love it. But But my point is we don't focus anywhere near enough on his return. This is a crucial part of Christian faith. Not only because it's true, but because it affects how we live right here, right now. God's already been speaking to us about some of this stuff through worship. We might not have worked it out or joined the dots. We're about to now. Because this is what, this is Jesus drilling down into these verses. This is what he's really focusing in on. Because believing this to be true, that he's coming back, changes everything. And it changes at least three things for us right here, right now. First is what we might describe as alertness. It changes our posture. It changes our position. Here's a question. How would you live differently if you knew Jesus was coming back tonight? You see, that's the imperative behind the command, keep awake. A bit like that meme, you know, that little thing you've seen on the internet. Jesus is coming back, look busy. Except it's not about looking busy. It's about being ready and being alert. In Matthew's, story of this, uh, Matthew's account of this story, he says uh, that Jesus' return will be like the thief in the night. Now, you, ne- you never know when a thief's coming, right? I mean, no one ever has that conversation kind of uh, like, are we about to be burgled tonight? Oh, I don't know. Let me just check the diary. We'll just have a little look. No, we're clear. Okay, leave the doors open then. Like, no one does that. Oh, hang on a minute. It does sound Thursday. We've got two requests to break into our house. So make sure you lock the doors on Thursday. Like, we just wouldn't live like that. You lock the doors because the thief might come tonight. That's not a prophecy, so don't worry about it. It'd be ridiculous to live like that. Let me just check the calendar. That determines whether I lock the door or not. No, 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 no. Yeah, if we're honest, that's how so often we treat the return of Jesus. He's probably not coming back just yet. So I've got a bunch of time to do the things I want to do, and then, then I'll follow what he says. Or, you know... I will get round to doing the Jesus stuff, but only when I'm ready. Or as long as I avoid like all the major sins, I'm kind of going to be covered. I'm going to be all right. I don't really need to follow that command too closely because, hey, it's probably, it's probably not even going to be in my lifetime that Jesus is returning. So I'll be all right. Just before I go, I'll sort everything out and then I'll be fine. I'll be honest with you. I lived like this for a number of years. Just kind of, yeah, I know I need to sort this out. I know I need to sort that out. I know I need to stop doing that and start doing that. I'm having too much fun. I'll be all right. I'll sort it out in my own time. I never stopped believing God, never stopped believing in him, never stopped kind of uh, believing his word to be true. I just thought, well, it'll be true when I'm ready for it to be true for me. 
And then I got hit in the face playing rugby. Really innocuous, nothing much to it, except my nose wouldn't stop bleeding and my teeth wouldn't stop wobbling and I got iller and iller and iller. And I was in the middle of exams at university and I was thinking, ah, I'll be fine. Ended up in hospital with a septal hematoma, got that taken out, then had an abscess close to my brain, in intensive care for several days, hospital for a little bit longer, very fortunate to survive. First thing I did when I woke up, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I've been, I'll, I'll get round to it when I'm ready. That was like, without being cheesy about it, nearly dying kind of focuses your attention on what really matters. Jesus is coming back. Am I living in a way that I'd be happy to see Jesus tonight? If you're not a Christian here this morning, this is a serious question that you need to answer. And if you are a Christian here today, there's no need to be living in fear. The whole point is, oh man, I'm terrified. No, no. But knowing he's coming back and knowing it could be at any moment, I'm going to live with personal integrity. What I sing about on a Sunday, I'm going to live like on a Monday. What I declare in my community, in my Bible study, I'm going to declare before my boss and work colleagues and everything else for the rest of the week. I'm going to have personal integrity. I'm going to stay awake because Jesus is coming. I'm going to stay alert. Look at verse 5. This is so significant, particularly after our time of worship earlier. See that no one leads you astray. See that no one leads you astray. Now listen, this gets preached so often from the front here. You follow Jesus, there's no guarantee that everything's going to be nice. And everyone goes, yeah, 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 until it all goes wrong. And then they go, what's happening? If you follow Jesus, look at verse 5. See that no one leads you astray, because if you follow him, all sorts of things are going to happen. And you're going to face all sorts of hardships and all sorts of difficult situations. And don't be surprised when you do. Don't be surprised when suffering and when hardship comes your way. Be on your guard. Wake up. What do, you, what do you think this Christian life is? Jesus says it's probably going to involve some of this. Look at verse 7. It's probably going to involve some wars or something like that. Verse 8. It's probably going to involve some earthquakes. Hopefully not a literal one for you. Verse 9. It's probably going to involve standing before councils and governors and other people of influence, bearing witness, even being beaten, whether literally or just verbally for your faith. Verse 12, it's probably going to result in have some kind of family crisis or some kind of turmoil as a result of following Jesus. Verse 13, it's probably going to involve being hated, but be alert to it. See, if you, I say this with all, all gentleness and all, all love. If your faith has no room for trial or difficulty or hardship, hardship, it's not faith in Christ that you have, it's faith in something else. If there is no place in your framework for following Jesus to know trial and difficulty, you've probably not got faith in Jesus, you've got faith in something else. You might have faith in Jesus to do something else for you, but it's not the same thing. Don't be led astray, said Jesus. This is what it is to follow me. But here's the thing, this is so wonderful. Jesus never commands us to do stuff which he doesn't provide us with the means to see through. Look at verse 11. Don't be anxious about it. You don't need to worry, you don't need to fret, you don't need to be fearful of it because the Holy Spirit will help you. He's the helper. That's his, that's his job, like literally, it's his, one of his names, the job, he's the helper. You don't need to be anxious about all of this stuff because the helper, the one who has all power and all, th- wow, he's the one who's gonna help you. You need to cultivate a relationship with him. 
And look at this promise, verse 13. For the one who endures to the end, they will be saved. Wow, that's a wonderful promise. So be alert. Jesus is coming. Second thing that this coming of Jesus kind of does in us and changes in us is that we, we live with urgency. We're alert, but we live with urgency. We have an urgency to share the gospel with words. Verse 10, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. There's an, a, a mission imperative to, to live like, well, the end is, we've got to play our part. I'm going to share the gospel with as many people as possible. But there's also an urgency to live like the gospel is true. See, if you know that the world has an end in it, and it could be soon, doesn't that kind of rearrange some of your priorities just a little bit? Like if you were on the Titanic, we've all seen the film, all right? Don't pretend you haven't. <laughs> if you're on the Titanic and you know that thing's going down, what's the one thing you're not going to be doing? Rearranging the deck chairs. Oh, look, they keep sliding. Let's get them back again. No, you're going, put your life jacket on and get out of the way. I'm getting on that boat. <laughs> no one, when the thing's sinking, is thinking, well, what's important is this thing and this thing and this thing. Yet... Let's be honest, if we're not careful, we can easily live our lives investing in things that don't really matter. The deck chairs were important on the Titanic. Like, they had a role, they had a function, but as it's going down, they kind of cease to be relevant or cease to be particularly important. We don't know when the master's going to return, but we do know that the master has given each of his servants, that's you and I, talents. And one day when he does return, when we stand before him, he's going to ask us what we did with the talents that he gave us. Now, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. Don't, do not take that away from this. Nothing wrong with that. The car, the house, the holiday, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, we're stewards. And we need to recognize that we don't own anything. God owns everything. And if God made it and you have access to it, then you're a steward of it. And you're accountable to God for how you work with what God owns. Which, hey, guess what? That's everything. And so knowing that Jesus is returning means I want to invest everything I have here. I'm going to enjoy stuff, of course I am. But I'm going to invest everything I have here while I can in this portion of life, knowing that I'm ultimately going to enjoy the rewards in the next. And I think one of the biggest challenges in our culture, especially with the social media and everything else, is we, have, we live with this constant FOMO, which for those of you who are as old as me and above means fear of missing out. <laughs> We live with that constant thing. We live like, ah, just I need this and I need that. And what, everyone else seems to be having this. And so I probably need it. But you know what? Knowing that Jesus is going to return kind of cancels out the whole FOMO thing. It cancels out the fear of missing out. Because if I get to have the benefits of this life and if I get to enjoy the wonderful things of this life, then wonderful. That's so good. But if I don't, you know what? I'm not so worried because there's a new heavens and a new earth that's going to last for a very, very long time. And I'm going to get to go and explore it and enjoy it, everything that it has to offer. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. I don't live with many regrets in my life. One of them is my family went on a holiday to Canada and I chose to go to Grand Canaria with friends. What a mistake. <laughs> like bears and mountains and mounties and all sorts of really cool stuff. Concrete, swimming pool, concrete. What a fool. And to be honest, it plagued me for a number. Some of you know exactly what kind of holiday I mean, right? It plagued me for a number of years. And it led me to get into this place of thinking, do you know what? I'm never again going to choose something stupid. I'm going to make every opportunity for every travel. And you have all these plans. We're going to go here and here and here. And we've done a little bit of it. And then you have kids and stuff and you can't go anywhere. 
Like Fields in Dorset. Woohoo! Said no one ever. And it messed me up. Because everybody I knew was having more fun than me. Because they had more money than me. And we're going all places better than me. Seeing the world. And I'm like, I'm never, never going to see Canada. And then I had this moment of revelation. The new heavens and the new earth are coming one day. And everything that's good about Canada, and maybe even about Gran Canaria, <laughs> have a few doubts. But everything good about Canada is going to be there in its perfect form and a whole lot else. So if I get to go to Canada in this day and age, thank you, work great. If I don't, do you know what? I'll explore it for all eternity in the new heavens and new earth. It changes my perspective hugely. Third thing it does, finish with this. Living, knowing that Jesus is returning helps me understand the problems of this world and it helps me live with them accordingly. Look at verse 26. And, when they will, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with, with great power and glory. When you just kind of casually read that, you kind of imagine he's coming through the clouds. Whoa, here he comes. That's, that's not what it says. It says here he's coming in the clouds or with the clouds. It's the language of Daniel 7. It's why I read it at the beginning. Here's the significance, because this is so important. The one with all dominion and all glory, the one whom before all nations, people, and languages shall one day serve, the one with an everlasting kingdom, that one is returning, and he's bringing clouds and power and glory with him. Wow. Just think back to a couple of weeks ago when we were exploring the, the significance of the temple, the, the dwelling place of God. And we looked all the way back to Eden where there was paradise, where God dwelt perfectly with man. And in the presence of God, there is nothing but perfection. So there is no place for disease or sickness or pain or misery or brokenness or anything. There's just beauty and power and holiness and splendor and majesty. That's why it's paradise, because the presence of God is there. And as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, when mankind rebelled and sinned, they get expelled from the presence of God. And so the earth becomes a place of brokenness and coldness and disease and poverty and death and violence and injustice and everything gets messed up. And throughout scripture, throughout the story of God, the presence of God keeps on showing up. And when it does, victory comes and healing comes and deliverance comes and salvation comes. And one of the images that we looked at a few weeks ago is that when the presence of God shows up, you read throughout the Old Testament, in the day it looks like a cloud and at night it was a fiery glory, Shekinah glory of God in its presence. Nothing evil can stand, nothing diseased can stand, everything that is broken gets fixed. Verse 26 of Mark 13 says, when Jesus comes back with the clouds, He's bringing the glory cloud with him. He's bringing the Shekinah glory of God. He's bringing the presence of God to envelop the whole world and make it the Garden of Eden all over again. He's bringing, literally bringing, the new heavens and the new earth. And so now the whole world will be perfected. It will all be beautified. All the end of disease, all the end of death, all the end of hunger, all the end of poverty, the end of injustice, the end of violence. And this is exactly what that illustration Jesus he uses of the fig tree is in verse 28 and 29 see the fig tree was a plant that lost its leaves in winter and when the leaves came back you knew that summer was approaching and Jesus says when I return I'm bringing the ultimate summer with me 
the summer of summers with me. The whole purpose of Jesus' salvation is the restoration and renewal of all creation. It's the end of everything that is wrong. And so knowing this, wow, that makes you yearn for the second coming of Jesus, right? Or it should do. Because knowing this gives you hope to keep going in this world. In a world faced with systemic injustice, this gives you hope. In a world marred by violence and death and disease, this gives you hope. In a world marred by pain and misery, this is what gives you hope. The second coming of Jesus is good news for people whose lives are filled with bad news. And it changes everything because it means justice will at last fill all the earth. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what you should yearn for. And if you don't, it's probably because you're a little bit too comfortable. Like where we live, this is like comfort city. Just the West, full stop. Now for some of us right now, there is a lack of comfort for various different things. But for the most of us, comfort, comfort is king, right? It rules. I don't yearn for something if I'm enjoying what I've got. It's not to say you shouldn't enjoy, but recognizing there are people right now who need the second coming of Jesus. The return of Jesus is very good news for the whole world. And we are part of that. Jesus says, be on guard, watch for it. 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 Be on your tiptoes, looking for it, yearning for it. I watch the news these days. I used to just go despair and go flipping egg. Now I pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Oh my goodness, you can't put on the news and watch the mess and brokenness without yearning for the Lord to do something about it. This is what he's doing. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you yearn for his return? Charles Spurgeon, the great preaching dude, said, the hour of his appearing is not revealed in order that we may always stand on tiptoe expecting it today. Come, Lord. I read a story this week. It was a brilliant story of a teacher who taught kids with special needs. And she taught them about the return of Jesus. And it's a funny story because every time after that, every time there was a commotion or a loud noise, all the kids would get up and run to the back of the classroom and go, Jesus, he's coming back. And she had to go, no, 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 it's not. Not every loud noise is Jesus returning because it was chaos. Because every time there was a loud noise, that was it, lesson over. Jesus is back. I honestly think that should describe us. Honestly. Where will Jesus find us when he comes again? Will we be like those kids? Just waiting to meet him. Honesty time, most of us don't yearn for his return. Why? I mean, it might be comfort. Quite enjoy living in this world, actually. Got quite a nice life. Got loads of things I want to achieve and do before. Yeah, at some point, that'd be cool, but I want to have done this, 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 and this, and this first. Okay, well, there's not a problem with doing those things. But Jesus says, wake up. This world is not all there is. We're not living for this one. We're living for the next one. Some of us don't yearn because we're a little bit afraid, truth be told. Give me Christmas. I ain't so sure on this. And actually, in many ways, it's a really well-rounded fear because when he returns, a judgment, an account has to be given. And most of us, well, some of us perhaps, don't feel entirely confident to stand before the judge. 
The human condition is that we know we're guilty and that's why we're scared of facing God. And in Mark 13, as Jesus describes the final judgment day, look at verse 24, he says, on that day the sun will be darkened. Fast forward to Mark 15, we'll get there in a couple of weeks' time. At Jesus' crucifixion, we read that darkness comes down, utter darkness over the whole land. Jesus says, on that day of judgment, the earth will be shaken. And in the Gospel of Matthew, when we read the account of Jesus' crucifixion, when he dies, what happens? The earth shakes and the rocks split. What is happening at the crucifixion? It kind of looks like judgment day because it was judgment day. On the cross, Jesus faces the ultimate judgment, which is why he includes all of these details. He was judged. Listen, this is why this coming of Jesus is very good news if you're a Christian, because the foot, when he died on that cross, he was judged in our place so that all who receive him, we, all we have to look forward to now, and this is why I yearn for the day of Jesus returning, is reu- reunion with our Father, not fear of facing the judge. Jesus faced the judge so that I don't have to. And at the first coming, Jesus didn't come to bring to bring judgment he came to take it this is the gospel Jesus the great judge of the universe you guys could come back came the first time not to bring judgment to the earth but to take it in our place so all that's left now is mercy and intimacy with a father who wants us to come to him with a savior who's made a way with a saviour who one day is going to usher in the new heavens and the new earth, the perfect glory that we will encounter forevermore. Have you received him? Have you received him? Do you know him? Are you ready for him? Can we stand? Since today, like God speaking for our worship, Words coming earlier, my power is coming, my spirit is coming. Don't hide away in your conservatory and your comfort. You meet the power in the storm. We don't need fear, we meet the power in the storm. Don't shy away from the weather of the Lord. Has he not been faithful and done many things? He will again, ultimately he will again. Let's just come before the Lord. If you're going through some suffering right now, there is strengthening coming. You're going through pain right now, there is hope coming. You go through trial right now, there is the Holy Spirit, the helper is coming. If you're lost right now, being found is available for you right here. If you're asleep, there's wokeness coming. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up.